Well, if you are new with us, we are in, we've been three weeks in this series. We've been walking through the book of James in this series that we've entitled Full Length Mirror. And when you think about a mirror, what, are, what is a mirror's purpose? Like, what's the purpose of this mirror? And many of you probably have a full-length mirror in your home. And we really have mentioned this for the past three weeks, but if you're new with us, here's really, I see three purposes. Number one, a mirror shows you who you are, right? Have you ever, I hope this isn't true, because you've had a bad night if it is. You look in the mirror and you're like, I don't recognize that person. So a mirror shows you who you are. It not only shows you who you are, it shows you how you are. Like you look in the mirror and you're like, man, I need to lose weight. Or man, I'm looking pretty good. I made a lot of progress. Or man, I need to comb my hair or wash my face or, or whatever it is. It shows you how you are. And the third purpose of a mirror is it shows you what you need to change. And that's why every one of our homes we have these contraptions is for those reasons. But God's word in James 1 is also described as a mirror. See, it also does those three things. As I open up God's word, it shows me who I am. If I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, if I'm not placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, this was true of us who have, but you may be here today, and as God's word's open, you're going to look into God's word as, a, as you would look into a mirror, and it's going to show you who you are. It's going to show you that you need a Savior. It's going to show you that you can't rely on the good that you can do on your own. For those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it also shows us who we are. It shows us we're a child of God. It shows us that our strength is found in Jesus Christ and is empowered to us through the Holy Spirit. It shows us who we are. It shows us that we have hope. But it also shows us how we are. It shows us how we're doing in life. It shows us whether we're being obedient, whether we're being disobedient. Where are we we seeing progress that we can rejoice to the praise of Almighty God? It shows us how we are, and then it shows us what needs to change. Like every time we open up God's word, there ought to be an element that's saying, God, where do I need to change? What do I need to submit? What do I need to confess? What do I need to give over to you that I've been holding on to? And so just like a mirror shows us physically who we are, how we are, and what needs to change, the word of God shows us spiritually who we are, how we are, and what needs to change. And so we've been looking at things in this book of James, practically looking at what does James talk about in this book that we look at our lives and say, okay, that needs to change. Okay, I can be encouraged in this. And so this morning is no different. We find ourselves in verses 14 through 26, where we look at a passage of Scripture that for many of us who are followers of Jesus Christ probably is not unfamiliar to you can oftentimes be looked at as a bit of a controversial passage because James is going to talk about our faith and James is going to talk about our works and how those ought not to contradict one another, but they ought to be harmonious. And so the title of this message this morning is this, Faith That Works. And here's the idea that I want us to see as we walk through these verses this morning. It's this, a faith that saves is a faith that works. So a faith that saves me, a saving faith, a faith that believes that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for me 
in replacement of my sinful life, that he died on the cross for my sin, paying the penalty that my sin deserves, that he rose again three days later so that I can have hope today that I, when I turn my life over to him and I trust in him as my savior, that now I have a home awaiting for me in heaven, a relationship with God today, the power to live this life for his honor and glory through the Holy Spirit, that type of saving faith is a faith that works as well. And so what I want to do in this, this today is in verses 14 through 26, I want to give you three types of faith. Three types of faith. And everyone in this room has one of these types of faith. And so what I want to ask you as we walk through these types of faith is ask yourself this, which one is mine? What type of faith do I have? And so let's look at the first type of faith. It's found in verses 14 through 17. It's this type of faith. Are you ready? Here it is. A faith that is worthless. You're like, man, right out of the gate? Yeah. Number one, a faith that is worthless. And we're going to see that type of faith described in verses 14 through 17 of this chapter number two. See, my faith is worthless when... It's this, when it's all talk. See, if you're here this morning and your faith is all talk, then James is going to share with you through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that your faith is worthless because it's all talk. Here's why I say that. Look at what James says in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says, keyword, he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? So James is literally saying, what good is your faith if your faith doesn't produce anything? What good is your faith if it's all talk? Now here's what we have to understand where we are in this book of James. So remember chapter one? Remember chapter one, James deals with how do you endure trials? He talks about when you need wisdom, how do you ask for it? He talks about temptation and understanding how the steps of temptation and, and what causes it to lead to sin. He talks about how good our Heavenly Father is. In chapter 2, we looked at last week, he talks about how we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And when we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, it leads us to love with discrimination. It causes prejudice. To, to rise up in us. It causes us, to, it leads to bigotry, discrimination, when we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. And so James has dealt with so many things that apply to every one of us in our walk with the Lord. But then he comes to verse 14 and he says, man, what good is it if you hear all this stuff, if you say all this stuff, but that's all it is. It's all talk. That's James's point. I mean, Jesus even warns against this in Matthew 7, 21, where he says, many people will say, Lord, Lord, like I believe in who you are, but then Jesus says, no, 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 the one that does the will of my Father, those are my children. See, what James says right out of the gate is we have to be careful because there's, there's this type of faith that's worthless, and it's worthless because it's all talk. But it's not just worthless because it's all talk. It's worthless because it's without a walk. Look at what it says in verses 15 through 17. Let's continue reading. So he's going to give this scenario now. 
of what it looks like to have a faith that's all talk, but without a walk. Look at what he says in verse 15. Here's the scenario. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have faith or does not have works, is dead. Some of your translations may say this because it's literally the meaning of that word dead. It's worthless. See, some of you are like, some of you are like, man, Johnny's like in a bad mood today. He like starts off, man, you know what type of what, what type of faith there is? A faith that's worthless. But those aren't my words. James literally says. What good is it if your face all talk without a walk? It's worthless. And he gives this scenario literally that someone would be walking and see someone that's in need and not like, well, I'm a little bit hungry or no, I don't like to work, so I'm going to just ask for people to give me stuff. No, no, no. This is someone who's in dire need. They hardly have any clothes on. They're, they're, they're cold. They need clothing. They're starving. And he's like, how ridiculous would it be for someone who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ and has a saving faith but walks by this person and literally says this, hey, be warmed and filled. Go in peace. Like how, like just thumbs up or thumbs down. Thumbs up, that would be an awesome person. That's amazing. There's no one with their thumbs up. Thumbs down. Not a good person. Yeah. Not someone that would be exuding a faith that saves, a faith that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's James's point. Like you could have all the knowledge in the world, you could have all the vocabulary. You can know how to pray so that people can be impressed. You can have all the verses memorized. You can have know where every book of the Bible is in your Bible. But his point is, is if your faith is all talk with absolutely no sign of a walk with the Lord, he says your faith is dead or useless. And here's, here's my concern today. With where we live especially, We live in an area of the country that's referred to as the Bible Belt. I've not met one person yet who I've talked to that has never heard the name Jesus. Not yet, anyway. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm sure there are. But unfortunately, what the enemy would love more than anything else is for you to think that you have a saving faith just because you have a lot of facts about who God is. Or that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and have a saving faith because you grew up in church. Or you would have a saving faith because you got a bunch of Bible verses memorized that you grew up with in Awana. Because what James is pointing out here is, wait a minute, what good is it, verse 14, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have faith? works, can that faith save him? How many of you have ever had your power go out and you're like in the dark looking for a flashlight? Raise your hand. 
Yeah, most of you. If it hasn't happened, it will happen. I'm going to have this happen to you because this has happened to my house. Not as much anymore, but it used to happen all the time. Is the power would go out and I'd be stumbling through looking for a flashlight and I would find it and I would go to turn it on and then it didn't work. And how many of you have had this lecture in your home to your kids? Don't play with the flashlights because when we need it, it won't work. Yeah, anybody? That was a story in my house. But just imagine the lights are all out and you go and you finally find the flashlight and you see it and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I have this. And you're like, man, this flashlight is actually pretty cool. Oh, feels like it's going to help me a lot. And then you go turn it on and it doesn't work at all. And so then all of a sudden you're like, well, man, somebody didn't change the batteries. And you open it up and you're like, well, that's why it doesn't work because it's completely empty. See, I wonder if there's not some of us in this room that this is our life. We got the talk down, so we look really good. We got the verbiage down, man, and, we, and man, we come in with a smile and we hug everybody, and man, it even, we even feel like someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is our faith is all talk because... There's nothing on the inside. And we're just like a flashlight that looks really good, but is worthless because there's nothing inside of it. And James says, after everything that he's already talked about in chat leading up to these verses and the things that he will talk at. After these verses, he says, what good is your faith if there's no works to show that it's a saving faith? It's a faith that's worthless. But here's the second type of faith, and it's found in verses 18 and 19. It's this type of faith. Faith that is wicked. Not just worthless, but there's another type of faith that's described. A faith that is wicked. Well, how in the world do I know if I have a wicked faith? Well, my faith is wicked when it is only intellectual. Or that's where it stops. It's only intellectual. Here's why I say that. Look at verse 18. James goes on to say, but someone will say, so he's like, someone's going to argue what I already said. There's always going to be a contrarian out there who's going to argue what someone says. And it's no different in God's word. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So that's great. You got faith. I got works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. But then verse 9, James says, you believe that God is one. Hey, you do well. Like, let me applaud you for what you know. And then he, like, says something that cuts to the knife. He says, even the demons believe. Get this. There's not a demon in this entire world who's an atheist. Devil's not an atheist. His demons are not atheists. They all believe in God. And there's significance to why James says, You believe that God is one, you do well, because he's quoting from the most precious passage of Scripture to a Jew. Remember, James is writing to Jews, Christian Jews that are dispersed across the globe, the known world at that time. And he's quoting the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4, where it says that the Lord is one. And he's like, hey, 
It's so great that you have memorized and you believe in what you were taught all growing up, like, like it's in your head. But here's what I want you to know, James is saying, if your faith is only intellectual, it's as wicked as the demons, because the demons believe in God. The demons believe that in the Trinity. The demons believe in the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. The demons believe in heaven and hell. The demons believe that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. The demons believe all that stuff, but it's only an intellectual belief. And what James is saying is our faith has to be so much more than some intellectual assent to something. It needs to be something more than that. But he just doesn't talk about our faith needing to be more than just intellectual But then he also says that our faith, if it's wicked, is not only intellectual, but it's also only emotional. Look at what it says in verse 19. It says, even the demons believe, and then there's that word, and shudder. It's an emotional response. Now here the emotional response has the idea of like the hairs standing on the back of a cat. Like I'm not particularly a cat lover. Like if you are, don't turn me off. I'm allergic to cats, so I have a reason not to like cats. But you ever scared a cat? You ever scare a cat? I have not. If you ever scared a cat, what oftentimes happens, right? Their hair goes on the, stands up on the back, on their back. That's the idea where the demons shudder when they think about who God is. I think of Jesus when he's casting out the demons out of the man in Gadara. Do you remember that story when Jesus is doing that? In Matthew chapter 8, he casts those demons out. But before he casts the demons out, as Jesus approaches this man who's possessed with demons, the demons actually communicate with Jesus, and they're actually, they ask him, what are you doing here? And they refer to Jesus as the Son of God. That's James's point. Even the demons believe. But they don't believe in this saving faith where they're going to place their trust in who Jesus is, this submission to who Jesus is. No, no, no. They have an emotional response, but it's an emotional response of rejection. And our emotions are a beautiful thing. They're a God-given thing. They're precious. If we didn't have emotions, we'd be walking around like a bunch of zombies. But emotions are up and down. I mean, I can be high one day and low the next. And if my faith is solely resting on my emotions, my faith can be manipulated. And what James is pointing out is, listen, a saving faith is not a worthless faith. A saving faith is for sure not a wicked faith. And if our faith is only intellectual and our faith is only emotional, we need to ask ourselves, do I truly have a saving faith? But let's get to the faith that does actually save. What do you think? Here's a third type of faith, a faith that is working. This is a saving faith, and that's found in verses, described in verses 20 through 26. See, a saving faith, my faith is a saving faith when it leads to willful obedience. Look at verses 20 and 21. James says this, 
Do you want to be shown? I just love how the Holy Spirit uses James' writing style. He's just like totally like logical and upfront. Okay, I'm going to tell you what faith is not. So do you want to know what it is? And he's like, do you want to be shown what it is? And he says, you foolish person. Like, you, like James must have been a guy that you never had to wonder what was on his mind. I like those people. Like James obviously was not passive aggressive. He's like, do you want to know, foolish person? Because you're being foolish if you think that you can have faith without any evidence that it's changed you. No, 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 that's worthless faith. You're foolish into thinking that just some intellectual knowledge about who God is and that you got all the facts down, that you think that that's saving faith. No, 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 that's wicked faith. That's just like the demon's faith. He's like, let me show you what saving faith is. It's a faith that's working. And he says, look at verse 21. He gives this example of Abraham from the Old Testament, which, remember, who is he writing to? Who's he writing to? Say it out loud. He's writing to Jews. Like, one of the Jews' patriarchs, Abraham. So he gives the illustration of Abraham. He says, Abraham, our father, was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. See, a saving faith is a faith that demonstrates willful obedience. It leads me to say, Lord, I desire to obey you. It's not only a faith that talks, it's not only a faith that knows about God, but it's a faith that leads to action. Now, if you're paying attention this morning and you know and you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, then you're going to say, well, wait a minute. So when I look at verse 21, it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? And if you have your thinking cap on this morning, you ought to say, aren't there some passages of Scripture that talk about me not being saved by my works? Like, isn't there this passage of Scripture that says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves? It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I would say, you're right. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You have Titus 3, 5. You have other passages of Scripture, John 3, 16. You have all of these passages of Scripture that clearly stress that we're not justified by works. So how in the world do you, do you resolve that with what James says in verse 21. So can we do a little Bible study? Let's do a little Bible study this morning. Because in Romans 4, verses 2 and 3, just turn in your Bibles there, keep your finger in James chapter 2. Paul says this in Romans 4, 2 and 3 about Abraham. He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So do we have a contradiction here between Romans chapter 4 and what we see in James chapter 2? It would appear so, but here's what you need to understand about the word justified. It has two meanings. See, sometimes it can mean justified in the sense of declaring one innocent. I mean, that's where we find that word justified used all over the books that Paul wrote. I mean, there's a, Romans 3, verse 28 says, one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So there that word justified literally means to be declared innocent. 
That when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, he justifies me. He declares me righteous, not because of the good I've done, but because I've placed my faith and trust in the good that Jesus Christ has done for me through his life, death, and resurrection. I'm justified. I'm declared innocent. But there's another way that justified is defined and used. It also means to show proof of something. So it has two meanings. So you're like, well... How do I reconcile those two meanings? Because when I read James and then I read Romans, it looks like James and Paul are at odds and are contradicting one another. But in reality, here's what. They're not fighting against each other, but it would literally be like their backs are towards one another and they're fighting different opponents. See, Paul is fighting when he uses the word justified. He's fighting against the false teaching that I'm declared innocent by the works that I do. Like, that's what he's fighting against. No, no, no. You're not saved by the good that you do because Isaiah says that all my righteousness is like filthy rags before God. That's what Paul is fighting against. So when he uses the word justified, he's getting across the idea that there's one thing that declares me righteous before God, and that is Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. James is fighting against a different opponent. He's fighting against an opponent that's saying, well, if I just believe a bunch of facts about God and believe in my head all this stuff, but it never connects to my life, life, oh, then I'm saved. See, James is fighting against something completely different than Paul's fighting against. So James uses the word justified to refer to what's the proof of my saving faith. And it's really no different today. We use words today that have different meanings. Remember when I was up doing some training in Chicago a year and a half ago, I had guys that were in that training that were from Uganda from Rwanda, from South America, from Central America, from Canada, sometimes as a foreign country, all different, all over the world. And here's what I thought was interesting. We have phrases that we use that have a meaning that are the same phrases that other people in other parts of the world use that have a completely different meaning. Here's one example. When I go up to someone and I say, how are you doing? Am I looking for a diatribe about how you're doing? That was so hard for guys from Uganda or Rwanda to understand. They're like, why do you Americans go up to people and ask how you're doing? And when they actually tell you, you just keep walking. It's so rude. When you really think about it, it really is crazy when you think about it. Hey, how you doing? Hey, hey what's up? How you doing? I don't really care to know. I'm just asking and saying hello. See, how are you in our culture really is just us saying hello. How are you in other cultures? You're actually asking because you want to know. See, same phrase, but different meanings depending on the context and how you're using it. And it's no different with the word justified here. There's no contradiction in God's word. Hear me on that. Scripture always interprets scripture. So when James is using it here, what he's saying is, is listen, a faith that saves is a faith that is proven by the fruit that comes from a life that's been changed. We sang it this morning that we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So how in the world, if I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, if, if that is as powerful as it is, how in the world could I be empty of power in my life? How in the world could I be void of seeing evidence of that faith in my life? The answer is, you can't. And a saving faith doesn't mean you're perfect. 
And a saving faith doesn't mean that you, that you don't still sin. But a saving faith means that there's going to be change in your life. Not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and what Jesus Christ has done in your life. See, my saving faith is a faith that leads to willful obedience, and it's also a faith that leads to worshipful fruitfulness. Can we just finish out this, these verses in verses 22 through 26? Look at what James says. He, says. he says, you see, speaking of Abraham, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. That word completed has the idea of matured. So in other words, as Abraham willfully obeyed and took his only son up to the mountain to sacrifice his son because that's what God asked him to do and he was prepared to do that. But God in his grace was testing Abraham that when Abraham did that, that obedience, that willful obedience led to fruitfulness because what it did is he stepped out in obedience is the result was is his faith grew. It was brought to completion. It matured. And that's something that we need to understand, that when I obey, you know what the awesome thing is? Is when I willfully obey God, the result of it is my faith grows. And then he says in verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Do you see there? You see how James is harmonizing the two ideas? He says, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified, speaking of the proof definition. A person is proven, justified by works and not faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? What he's referring to is the story in Joshua 2. Whereas the children of Israel go into the land of Canaan, the land promised to them, they go to Jericho, they go to the city, God tells them to walk around the wall seven times, day after day after day, and then the seventh day they walk around it seven times, but before they did that, they sent spies into the land, and two spies go into the land, and Rahab brings them into their house, and Rahab has heard of the God that the children of Israel serve, and she asks to be spared because she believes in who their God is. And they say to her, if you lower a scarlet cord out of your window, when God gives this city over to us, you will be spared. And what James is doing here is he's saying, you know what was the proof that Rahab believed who God was? It was that she believed God enough to actually act on what she believed. That's the point. This past weekend, Lori did something uh, for me. We've been married 18 years, be 19 in July. It's crazy. I don't think we're that old, but we've married that long, and she did something that she's never done before. So Thursday, I'm finishing up the message for this weekend, and she comes to the office. She says, hey, get in the car, have everything packed. We're going somewhere. I had no idea where we were going. I was, she, she hijacked me and took me to a place I had no idea where we were going. It was pretty awesome, right? And so I remember, so we went to up to the mountain. I've never been to Boone, North Carolina before, and we went up to Grandfather Mountain and all that other stuff. So yesterday, to cut off the tail end of the trip, we went ziplining. Never been ziplining before. Up in the mountains. Amazing thing. Like, you go with this group of people, you had no idea who they were, and at the end, man, you're like this. 
And I remember when we went ziplining, we had, you know, the first thing you do is, you know, first of all, you get on a scale. Because if you're over a certain amount of weight, you can't go. And I was like, dude, that's a bad day for anybody who's like jazzed about that. And then they get on the scale and they can't go, which actually happened to a dude. I felt so bad for him. But nonetheless, you do that. And then they, based on that, they give you this harness, right? And so I'm looking at this harness and they lay it down and you step into this harness and then you pull it up. And at the time I'm looking at that harness and I'm thinking to myself, that thing can hold me up. When I get up there, I had no, at that time I had didn't really think a whole lot about whether I had enough faith that that harness could hold me. So I strap on the harness, Lori straps on the harness, and then you go where you got like to figure out how all this works, right? You got a brake hand with this leather, th- leather glove, and you got this other hand, and you got to put your hands on it a certain way. So we go and we do this training time and, and figure out how all this works, and you go over this little thing, which is just this little zip line, no big deal, go over that. I'm still thinking to myself, man, this harness can hold me, all of this stuff. And so we, we go, I got, see, I was testing it out, like really trying to figure it out if it worked. And so the very first zip line that they take us on after we figure all that out, talk about jumping in the deep end of the pool right away, is a 300 foot high zip line that goes about, I don't know, a little less than a thousand feet over this crevice. Now see, I didn't question a whole lot. If you would ask, hey Johnny, you have faith that this harness is going to hold you when I was back at the shed? I'd have been like, of course I do. Do you have faith that this, this, this little uh, whatever it is that holds you on the zip line is going to hold you when we're at the little dinky little zip line that went across? Like, of course I do. But now all of a sudden it got real. <laughs> See, now all of a sudden it was, do I have faith or don't I have faith? And so I remember getting on that thing, man, and going and wondering, what in the world am I going to do at the beginning of this thing? Am I going to be able to do this? Is this thing going to be able to hold me? All that. But man, you go across that zip line. Amazing. And then you go to another one and another one, like 10 of them. And at the end, it was so awesome. I was like, I can't believe I did that. And then I looked at Lori. I was like, I really can't believe you did that because she hates that stuff. But what was so awesome is at the end of that, we were able to look back and say, man, would we have ever thought that we would have been able to do that? No. But you know why we did? Because we had faith. That what we were holding on to was going to hold us up. And the reason why I say that is because in verse 26, it says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Listen to me. Saving faith is a faith that works. So you can come in these doors every week and open up the Bible and sing the songs and know where the passages of Scripture are found. But I'm going to ask you, man, is your faith all talk without any walk? Is your faith all intellectual and all emotional? Is that what you're using to define whether or not you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you looking at your life and you're like, man, I look over the weeks that I've been saved, the days that I've been saved, the years that I've been saved, and I look at my life and I'm like, God, let me look at all the things that you've done in my life. Look at all the things that you've done because I've willfully obeyed you. And God, when I look at the things that I never thought I'd be able to do, or see you do in my life, 
the way my marriage is now from what it used to be, the way that my relationships are now from what they used to be, the way that my life is now from what it used to be, the addictions that I used to have that, praise God, God has delivered me from, and on and on and on. You know what that's a result of? That's a result of saving faith. That's a result of being all in with God. That's a result of saying, God, I'm going to put all my weight and trust in who you are. And this is more than some intellectual ascent. God, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my life. And to be able to look and to be able to say, God, let me worship you because of the fruit that I see in my life. Just like I wouldn't go up to a bush that's a blueberry bush and say, yeah, that bush is doing good. It hasn't produced any berries ever. I would say there's a problem with that bush. James is looking and saying, man, listen to me. If you have saving faith, God's doing a work in you. And let's praise him for it. Listen to me, if you're here today and you're honest with yourself, you're just like, man, I look at my life and there's never been any change. There's no desire to do what God wants me to do. I couldn't care less about God, and I got a lot of facts in my head about God. Then I believe you're here because God wants you to put your full weight and trust in who Jesus is for your life. He wants you to believe him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And let's not have a worthless faith. Let's not have a wicked faith. Let's have faith that works.